When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Spain's goalkeeper clutches it through the air, falls on top of it, and there is the final whistle. It's a classic fairy tale of trials and tribulations for Spain. Turmoil turned into triumph. The team at odds with its federation, they've rallied together, and these 23 women have unleashed their red fury onto the world. England have been vanquished. It is Spain who are the World Cup champions, defeating England 1-0 in the final. Yes, indeed they did, and it put to an end a memorable FIFA Women's World Cup down under, and it was uh, Spain 1, England 0, and I think it's fair to say a deserved result. Our one man who's uh, been sitting watching, analysing on behalf of uh, us for Sky Sport uh, throughout this uh, wonderful event has been Jacob Spoonley, and uh, he joins us uh, this morning at uh, a very good uh, a very good time to look back on it because uh, I think it's going to be a while, Jacob, before it, the memories leave us, but it's always good to re- reflect on it uh, the morning after. And uh, no complaints for England. They were slightly upbeaten, outplassed. Good morning, Smithy. Well, I think Spain won the arm wrestle, ultimately. Uh, there were two key areas in the way in which they separated themselves from England. And let's be honest, it was by the slightest of margins. It was chances for both teams. I thought England tried to shuffle the pack and change their formation, introduce new personality. Uh, But the Spanish midfield was like a Rolls-Royce at times. It was so composed, often in control, uh, both in terms of position, possession, and then also the manner in which they controlled the tempo and then the second part, the probably the most underappreciated part, was the way in which the back line then choked any ball further forward. Uh, mm. The press from the Spanish was so comprehensive, and then Paredes just did a wonderful job on Lauren Hemp. So that meant that the Spanish, for large parts of the game, did go relatively untroubled once they took the lead. It was interesting, actually, because uh, he pulled some rabbits out of some hats, this fellow, um, this this, uh, Spanish manager. And, uh, you know, this is a bloke that had uh, a side that honestly just didn't even want to play for him, what, less than 12 months ago. And he's turned them into um, the best team in the world. And he made some interesting calls along the way, including changing his goalkeeper. Hey, did It's actually a really interesting subplot to all of this. The fact that Jorge Velda... Uh, got given the job was a surprise, and that happened um, a wee while ago, a number of years. Um, but then there were conversations around the, the team being successful despite him uh, and not because of him, uh, questions about his training methods, and then also some really strange behaviour off the field. So I'm sure that'll be investigated after the fact, but at the moment, uh, let's enjoy the football. And looking at what happened on the field, there were some times throughout the tournament when the Spanish did have to pivot. That result against the Japanese in Wellington, although it seems a long time ago, it was 
really eyebrow-raising for the Spanish. And they did change their goalkeeper. They gave uh, a debut to a player that had not played for the national team beforehand. And Karakoi, I think, actually played a really important role, in particular last night, coming up with some big saves to deny the English a route back into the game. Uh, And then also the introduction, the gamble, after being so prolific off the bench, um, Parayel, the teenager that has now won not only the under-17 and the under-20 World Cup, but played such a role for the Spanish in winning the World Cup itself. Mm, There's so many good little subplots within the plot, you're right. Uh, I really like uh, the performance, though, and I messaged you did too of uh, Wendy Earps, who's super confident, appears from the outside looking in. Um, She kept England in it last night, a penalty save. Um, a magnificent tip round the, the upright at one point. Honestly, uh, I, she's fully deserving of the, the Golden Gloves? Well, I, I think she is. Um, I think there probably were a couple of performances that did push her. Musevich, for example, stealing the headline mm. uh, against the USA and Japan, and then the Japanese goalkeeper pulling off potentially the save of the tournament. But you're right, Smitty. From start to finish, Mary Earps has been such uh, an important part of a really complete English back line. Uh, the combination that she formed with Millie Bright uh, and Alex Greenwood in particular, um, the composure that she demonstrated, and then coming up big in the big moments. And that's why mm. I think ultimately she won the Golden Gloves. Yeah, um, I liked uh, another player too uh, in the Spanish lineup. Uh, and that is the, one, the lady that missed the penalty, unfortunately, uh, Jenny Hermoso. But I, I've seldom seen um, a footballer with a better left foot and uh, in control in terms of time. Her experience in the heart of that Spanish midfield, I thought, was a massive key. It was. Uh, that's where the Spanish controlled the game from. Their ability to play in tight spaces, and they did get pressed really well at times by Wegman's uh, England. But Hermoso's combination with Bonmati... Um, was a standout in the final. And I think although she did miss the penalty, um, Hermoso's foundational role in breaking down the Spanish left flank and providing the opportunities for Carmano and uh, Caldiente, uh, she was a player that stood out. And I think perhaps a little bit unfortunate that just Bonmate had a slightly better game and, and a better tournament. Otherwise, I think we could be talking about her as the winner of the Golden Ball. Yeah, absolutely right. Right, OK, um, let's uh, look at a uh, more overall perspective. Uh, did it uh, exceed your expectation or did you know that this was going to be this damn good this last month? <laughs> Talking about a month, Nitty, let's go all the way back to Hannah Wilkinson crashing that ball into the back mm. of the net at Eden Park to set us up and running. And the tournament really never backed down. Uh, 1.98 million attendees, 700,000 in New Zealand, TV audiences in New Zealand, which exceeded 1 million. I think we actually got to 1.2, 1.3 at some stages if you include the streaming. Um, that's just the engagement off the field. The product on the field has been spectacular. What I think has defined this tournament is the competitive parity. Not only have we seen the likes of Canada, Brazil, Germany and the USA, traditional powers knocked off, but we've seen the emergence of these teams that are now challenging the status quo, the likes of South Africa uh, and Jamaica, who really did come from nowhere, 
And any questions about this tournament being expanded from 24 to 32 teams were largely put to bed in the group stages, even before we got to the truly compelling knockout football. Um, and then we've seen the emergence of some, some really wonderful players, some young talents, Linda Caicedo and uh, Pareo. So in terms of the future of women's football, we've seen it at this tournament. And we've got Paris next year, and then we've got the World Cup in 2027. We don't have a host yet, but the USA are pushing for that tournament. And it is a wonderful direction that we are heading in for the women's game. Well, that's interesting you bring up the USA because uh, some sides will look back at it very fondly. Uh, the USA will not. They've already had a change of coach. Uh, well, they will have a change of coach. They've lost this one. Uh, they will have also um, perhaps uh, seen the end of uh, one, two, maybe three, or even four of their most senior, highly regarded players. So for some, it wasn't the World Cup. They wanted it to be. In fact, it was anything but. Yeah, yeah absolutely right. So you can focus on the U.S. I think Lindsay Horan was the standout uh, for me in that midfield. She really did try to drive them forward. But we probably saw um, a changing of the guard throughout the tournament, even before the USA got knocked out. It was apparent that um, Vlatko Andonovsky just didn't have the answers in terms of tactics, but I think also the personnel. Uh, so it would have been a swan song and it would have been a fairy tale for the USA to go and do the three-peat. But I think some sentimentality really did uh, limit them in, in some regards. Add to that, Smitty, the Olympic gold medalists in Canada being knocked out at the group stage. And then also the team that a number of people thought were going to make it at least to the semi-final, if not um, been a dark horse to take out the competition. Germany knocked out at the group stage as well. Uh, so mm. there are a couple of teams that are going to need to go back and if they want to keep challenging in the latter stages of the tournament, they're going to need to reconsider what their plans are uh, for these upcoming tournaments. Right, OK. Uh, I'm not sure we can put it to bed for a while, but uh, I'd like to turn uh, your attention, if I could, to uh, the EPL. Uh, we're uh, two rounds in, and uh, Liverpool 3, Bournemouth 1, which would have pleased you? Absolutely. Uh, it's great to get that first win of the season. Um, however, this Liverpool team doesn't look like the complete package just yet. Uh, they are so fluid, they're dynamic, they're powerful, they're decisive going forward. And you do feel like they could score at any point from anywhere. However, the vulnerabilities at the back, and it's, it's becoming a bit of an issue. The players that were so strong for them over the last three to four years uh, the likes of Van Dyke and Allison in particular, are now starting to look shaky. And that vulnerability was demonstrated early doors against Bournemouth. So Liverpool can't keep giving themselves additional challenges to overcome if they want to make Champions League football or even push the likes of Man City for that championship. I was watching an interesting thing on uh, telly. I was watching the golf actually the other day and uh, Matthew Fitzpatrick uh, was uh, being interviewed after his round um, and he was actually he had on the on the floor in between his legs he had uh, live coverage of Sheffield United playing Nottingham uh, Forest because Sheffield is his team and while I mean the, the, the interviewer whilst he was trying to get golf information out of him it was almost quite hopeless because uh, he was glued to this match and of course he was very disappointed at the end because our very own Chris Wood got the winner for Nottingham Forest which is a good sign Absolutely and Look, it's some header from Woodsy. Uh, he's been given a limited opportunity to contribute to the match, perhaps thrown on as a bit of a, um, a chance card, if you will. Um, but that 
delivery into the box and then position that he takes up, let alone the finish, the lovely little feather touch into the corner to get Nottingham Forest the result. I think Woodsy has a bit of an uphill task with that injury at the back end of last season and the way in which Nottingham Forest found themselves in and around the relegation zone. But he's doing a wonderful job just working his way back into the good graces of his coach and hopefully playing a central role for Nottingham Forest this season, which would be wonderful for our all-whites as we start to look towards the Olympics, but then also World Cup qualifying next year. Right, okay, Manchester City have been efficient so far, only just efficient, Uh, 1-0 over Newcastle, but uh, early goals for Erling Haaland and uh, looking like it's status quo for them. Yeah, they're boring, aren't they? So they, the machine keeps rolling on. <laughs> they are, they, they are absolutely clinical. And for all of the trophies that they've won, and for the manner in which they've started this season, um, winning the Super Cup in midweek, I actually think that this result against Newcastle is the most important for Pep Guardiola. We heard him talk about its significance in the aftermatch, uh, and. Newcastle are a team that are going to look to elevate again and, and try and challenge Manchester City for that top spot. The investment that they've made, the manner in which the team played last year, um, really did present a bit of a challenge early doors for Pep Guardiola's men. And the fact that they kept a clean sheet and they also got uh, Harlan firing again, I think that's exactly what Pep Guardiola wanted to see so early on in the season. My Tottenham, uh, my Tottenham um, look like they might have uh, life without Harry Kane after all, but uh, for Manchester United, I'm not sure at all about them. There are big, big wobbles in Den Haag's team at the moment. You're expecting a side that was going to kick on from last season. The additions of Onana um, at the back, um, getting Bruno Fernandes, I think, ticking over a little bit more in midfield. Uh, and then Marcus Rashford coming back to fitness. I was expecting a Manchester United team to really get up and take off um, and hit the ground running early this season. That simply didn't happen. But, Smitty, let's talk about Tottenham and Postacoglu. How mm. people are surprised at the manner in which he changes teams, the manner in which he catalyzes this proficient attacking football and by and large with players that aren't superstars um, it is something that I struggle with because he did it at Celtic, he did it at Yokohama um, Mariners he's done it at Melbourne Victory he's done it at Brisbane Royal and yes not all of those sides are the same level but why are we surprised that he can get the alchemy right with Tottenham and mate I'd love to get your take on this because I, I low-key think this is going to be a very exciting season for Spurs particularly when you consider it without Harry Kane, yeah. Look, I'm I'm very positive about it. I, I've got to say, and and um, I, I just I kind of like Spurs when they're in this position, when they're sort of semi underdog and semi supposed to be in that rebuilding phase up front in particular. Uh, I think they're probably at their their most probably their most dangerous, as opposed to it looks like for Stanford Bridge fans, it might be another miserable year as well. West Ham knocking them over three one, and that with a player sent off. Yeah, it's exactly right. I think uh, London is all up for grabs. Arsenal probably are the favourites to finish the higher of the capital teams, but I I would not want to bet on where Spurs are going to end up. I think Ange Postacoglu 
to your point, he's got them flying under the radar, but he will he will use that in order to get them to refine their football and play this lovely attacking brand and take the game to teams. Uh, just like Roy Keane said at halftime, it's almost arrogant the manner in which they uh, approach the game um, without regard for their opposition. But Chelsea, really interesting early doors from Pochettino. I think he's still moulding this team. They're obviously bringing new players in. Not sure what 115 million pounds really buys you at this point. But it seems a lot of money for not a lot of result early doors. Um, but I think Chelsea will be a side that we don't really see um, what they're about until around about October, November. I think Pochettino will need time with what is a very young team, but also a team that has only recently been put together. And just finally, uh, Leon, Lionel Messi winning with uh, Inter Miami. Does that um, get your attention? It's <laughs> getting the Americans' attention. Um, it's interesting. Someone said the other day that a week after Messi signed into Miami, there was confirmation from the CIA that aliens exist. And, and he seems to be um, someone of extraordinary talent, um, uh, extraterrestrial ability that is playing in the MLS. What is it, nine goals in six games or something absolutely absurd, including four outside the box, two free kicks. Um, if this is a retirement, then he definitely is enjoying himself. And the best thing about it for Kiwi audiences, City is that he's going to come up against Bill Tuiloma and Michael Boxall over the next month or so. So we get to see how our very own go up against the world's best. Jacob Spoonley, as always, uh, great to catch up with you. Thanks for your review of the uh, Women's World Cup and uh, your great work as well. Throughout, it's uh, just been so absolutely special. I, for one, won't be forgetting it for a, a long, long time, and I hope football in New Zealand cashes in on it. Cause, Jacob, that is now the main priority, cashing in on that. Absolutely. Legacy, um, although it can be talked about in many different ways, for me, true legacy around high performance is commercial engagement, is government backing, and ensuring that our teams participate in a manner which provides them with the opportunity to go on, to kick on, to catalyze, and to start talking about quarterfinals and semifinals at the Olympics and the World Cup. And we've got opportunities over the next three to four years. This cycle is going to be decisive about our footballing future, and I hope we're ready for it. Good on you, Jacob. Uh, as always, uh, thanks very much, and uh, have a terrific day, man. Thank you for your time. Thanks, Millie. Have a great day.